It's a great pleasure to be here today to talk to you about one of my scientific heroes who I fell in love with during my PhD. Um, he's an agricultural, was an agricultural scientist and cryobiologist from the UK by the name of Ernest John Christopher Polge. And uh, just like my previous speaker, I will also just abbreviate that to Chris, the common Chris. That will work easy. Now, he was born into a Quaker family, um, a poor farming family, on the 16th of August in 1926. And he died on the 17th of August, 2006, at the age of 80, having made a fairly substantial contribution to the field of reproductive biology. Um, because he's not that dead, it was actually quite hard to find a lot of information on him. Um, but I found a couple of obituaries and some pretty bad uh, newspapers from the UK online. And I also have some personal accounts from some of his contemporaries. So I can't promise you any facts. There's going to be... I don't know what's happening in here, but I might squeeze some innuendo in there that can probably make up for it. Um, so when I was doing my PhD, I worked with frozen ram sperm, as you do, um, and I had to reference where it was first frozen. And uh, that's when I came across Chris Polge, because in my entire thesis, I referenced this guy, like, once. And um, for anyone who's written a large body of scientific work, you'll know that you usually see ideas evolve as you go through kind of, you know, scientific development. So you might see someone work on time or temperature and groups will compete and suddenly you'll have this, you know, crazy, crazy innovation. But Chris Polge, no, there was no trace of him before this. And then bam, 1949, nature paper, frozen sperm. So, you know, this just screams, it just screams serendipitous discovery, I think. Um, and that really follows my kind of work, which uh, I, my motto is to work smart, not hard. And I believe that serendipitous discoveries do that for us all. So um, just to, for those of you who aren't familiar with too many great serendipitous, serendipitous discoveries of all time, I'll, I'll, I'll just bring you up to some clinical ones. Um, penicillin was a pretty great one um, because of someone's shitty hygiene in the lab and he grew some mould over the weekend and bam, antibiotics. Nice one, Fleming. Um, a lesser known one, anaesthesia. So I found out that anaesthesia actually came about from doctors going on what was uh, affectionately called an ether frolic <laughs> until one of them maybe pushed it a bit too far but then came back to life. Anaesthesia. Who knew? Um, more recently, and we're probably all aware of this one, Viagra um, is a great uh, serendipitous discovery. It was actually a drug commissioned by Pfizer to help people who had heart attacks. So it was to stop you from getting to having a repeat heart attack. Um, only it kind of stimulated the other love muscle. And so these poor guys with heart attacks were walking around with raging erections. And Pfizer thought, this is not going to work. We're going to have to rebrand. That's where Viagra comes from. Um, ironically, one of the side effects of Viagra is heart attack, so <laughs> not sure what happened there. Um, but back to Chris, because that's why we're here. Um, so how does someone accidentally discover how to freeze semen, thaw it out, and then get something pregnant? Now, I thought this a lot during my PhD when I wasn't doing my PhD, because that's what you do when you're doing a PhD. Congratulations, Sam, on getting through that. Um, I would love to tell you a story about a frivolous subarctic sex romp, but no, that's not what it was. Or a cheeky lab weekend wank in the freezer gone wrong. <laughs> not that either, unfortunately. Um, in fact, Chris Polge himself actually tells people fairly often what happens. So it's a very open story amongst the right circles. 
Um, you will be amongst that circle after this. Um, so Chris was working under the guidance of someone called Dr. Audrey Smith, and they were trying to add particular ingredients to um, sperm before they froze it, so that when they thawed it, it would um, withstand the damage that's caused by cryopreservation. So they were working with amino acids and polysaccharides. Now, these things did not work in any way, shape or form. They tried for about a year to do this and nothing happened, so they parked it, went away, did something else and then about six months later, Chris came back and he thought, oh, I've just got like a little bit of that stuff left and I'm, instead of chucking it out, I might just give it one more crack. And lo and behold, sperm was frozen, thawed and when it was thawed, it actually had a lot of motility left in it. So it was the first time that they'd seen this in the lab. And so Chris goes to his PhD supervisor and he says, oh, that's, that's great, you know, make up a fresh batch and we'll start some new experiments. So they make a fresh batch and then, again, nothing works. And um, it wasn't Chris's PhD supervisor's first rodeo supervising PhD students. So he said, you know what, take, take the sample, send it down to chemistry down the road in Cambridge. We'll figure out what's actually in that bottle. And lo and behold, it was not what we thought was in the bottle. Um, it was actually a mixture of egg white and glycerol. And uh, this is something that's used to mount histology samples onto glass microscope slides. It's a very thick, um, sticky liquid that gets used. In Chris's words, the labels became confused. Um, read, I fucked up, but it worked out for the best. So we got a nature paper out of it. Um, Chris then moved on, so he was doing most of this work in frozen thawed cock semen, and yes, that is as fun to say as you think it might be, because that's perfectly anatomically, anatomically meaningful. Um, he moved from hens uh, to calves, uh, to cows, and he uh, managed to cryopreserve higher mammal semen and get cows pregnant. The first calf to be born was aptly named Frosty. No points for creativity, but hey, that's not what he did. Um, so Chris then kind of left the lab for a while, and he turned towards his entrepreneurial side of things, and um, he ended up touring around the world promoting freezing sex sperm, uh, freezing sperm, so that you could uh, inseminate um, large groups of animals with the same sire, because you could actually now transport sperm across large distances. So he went over to uh, Europe, North and South America, and he dramatically changed the genetic makeup of, of a lot of the, the herds around those areas. He was known for a long time as Britain's ambassador for frozen semen, and now, I, now you know what I want to be when I grow up, um, with a title like that. Um, at the end of 1960, um, he moved on from freezing sperm to freezing whole embryos. And this was actually quite a, it's kind of a big deal. It's the closest we've gotten to proper cryogenic uh, preservation. So an embryo is made up of two different types of cells. We have an inner cell mass that's going to become the baby, and we have a trifectoderm that's going to become the placenta. And these cells are talking to each other. So he used the same method, dunked it in some glycerol, dunked it in some liquid nitrogen, bam, frozen embryo, thawed it out, first calf, guess what it was called? Frosty 2. <laughs> Just like Terminator 2 and Aliens, it was the more sophisticated plot line that got them through. Um, it was around this time that he started supervising a student called Ian Wilmot. And some of you might know that Ian went on to produce the first clone, um, aka Dolly the Sheep. So Chris also left a legacy in that area. Um, now, with any good story, there's a bit of controversy that I discovered doing this with my online romp um, into glycerol and sperm. And I found that uh, a couple of other people might have actually done it before, Chris. Um, so just to learn a few lessons in what you should do if you discover something like this, let's go through this. Um, Professor Jean Rostand from Paris had actually done this with frog semen 
three years before Chris and presented it at a small conference in Paris, but it was in French, so nobody understood what was going on. That was very bad, I'm sorry. If anyone's French, it's, it's bad. Um, and at the same time, there was a Russian scientist by the name of Smirnov, who I presume comes from the very same family that invented the Smirnov Ice Double Black, which robbed me of my teenage sobriety. Um, he figured out how to freeze ram sperm and create lambs the same way. Um, however, he never formally published, presumably because he's from the same family that invented Smirnoff Ice Double Blacks, and they never got anywhere. Um, so a lesson here on visibility, guys. <sighs> Don't write in French. Don't drink too much Smirnoff Ice Double Black. Go to Cambridge and publish in Nature, and that should get you, that should get you through. Um, just to finish off, a personal note about Chris. Um, he was described as gregarious and enjoying the lighter side of life, which I interpret as being a massive pisshead. I don't know how you'd take that any other way. Um, I got given a good story from one of his contemporaries about a conference he went to in East Berlin before the falling of the wall. And uh, he was a bit tiddly one night walking home and he found a place that was quiet to relieve himself and he got busted by the Stasi for pissing on the wall. And apparently it took the British consul to come and save him and get him out of the country. Um, and uh, it's a bit of an inspiration for all of us in Brunswick because I'm, I'm sure that we've all pissed on the boundaries of capitalism at some point in our lives. <laughs> yeah. Little political joke there. <laughs> Scientists can do that too. Um, today you can address all your com consumer semen needs online. Did you know that? Um, thanks to Chris Polger's poor labelling and his strong entrepreneurial skills, Genetics Australia have released a semen catalogue where you can, uh, I love saying those words together, semen catalogue, where every year you can choose from the best sires across the country. Um, in fact, they're making about a million dollars a year doing this, so they have literally made big business out of semen. Uh, on a human note, uh, there are hundreds or tens of thousands of, of babies born each year from frozen donor semen. Um, in the UK, there was a report recently that uh, 17 men had fathered 500 children between them from one sperm bank. There's laws against this now, but um, anthro anthropologi anthropologically, that's quite creepy, but um, scientifically, it's kind of cool. Like, it's like, well, <laughs> you really managed to go far and wide, these guys. Um, the same thing with embryos. So now we freeze a lot of embryos and we actually get better rates freezing embryos and transferring them than we do with fresh embryos. So there's another interesting little legacy from, from Chris's work. And I think I've probably gone on for a bit too long. Um, so thank you everybody for your attention and thank you Chris Polt for your contribution to agriculture, genetics and modern assisted reproductive technology. Cheers.